Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of Conversations Back in the Saddle with Z and Vin. And Z, man, today we are covering a fascinating topic, the counsel of the self. As we're talking about this topic, it reminds me of the view of the brain, which is both a Buddhist view of the brain and modern neuroscience has confirmed this view. A lot of the decisions we make come from what you might call the counsel of the self. What that means is that we have different templates for how to react in a certain situation. So, for example, if we're at work, one program that's running in the background is I've got to make sure that I don't say the wrong thing to my boss. I've got to please the people above me. I don't want to screw up. I want to make sure that I sound intelligent because that's how I navigate corporate America. Then you might have another ego program which is saying something different, which is saying, I've really got to tell people what I think. This is my time to shine. I've got to get my ideas across no matter what. Then you might have another program, which is more based on fear, uh, which is, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. What if I lead us down the wrong path? So there are all these different templates or members of the council that are giving us input and helping us figure out how to react in any given moment to any given situation. The interesting thing about it is, if you look at the neuroscience, all of this happens in the subconscious. So when a certain idea comes to mind, a certain thought, generally we think of ourselves as actively thinking that thought or actively making that decision. But if you get into the neuroscience all of this stuff is happening in the background. So you have these different programs running and they're mediating conflicting objectives. And the end result of that, the decision is what flashes through your consciousness. So you're aware of the final decision. You think you're making the decision, but actually all this stuff is happening in the background and it's happening based on programs that either we've developed ourselves, that we've learned based on our environment, our peers, that we've subconsciously absorbed from our culture. And that's why at times we can feel a lot of internal conflict. We can feel a sense of internal, actual physical discomfort in a situation, like we're being pulled in different directions because we have these conflicting needs and conflicting programs that are running. And if there isn't resolution, then we just sit and we spin and we feel anxious and drained. And If we think about the implication of this, Z, I think it's very powerful because so much of this happens outside of our conscious awareness, yet we have the ability to choose that counsel, to help design those programs, to train ourselves to listen to certain voices and give more weight to certain voices than others. So if we are aware of the different programs that are running, we can question which ones are really serving us. We can question which ones to listen to in different situations, and we can take charge of our reality. So we can be much more active in our decision-making. Anything that's holding us back, that's getting in the way of a healthier lifestyle, 
of a more purposeful existence is stuff that we can reprogram if we start to look below the surface, question our assumptions, and think more carefully about the narratives that are controlling our behavior. So I think this is an incredibly powerful topic. Z, why don't you kick us off? I mean, I've framed this in terms of neuroscience, but give us your perspective on this council of the self. Yeah, Vin, I, I would love for everyone to picture a round table of, of a round table of people of note, right? Just like when you see these movies and they have the war council and the president comes in and there's the secretary of the Navy, the secretary of the defense, the secretary of the environment, the press secretary, uh, there's the secretary of agriculture. They're all sitting around and he has a decision to make. And he has to go and, and, and have input from all of these people. And of course, the secretary of war wants war. The secretary of environment wants peace. The, the head of the ambassadorial brigade wants to negotiate. And all of this is going on. And at the same time, there's the political people are telling him, this is how you're going to stay in power, win the election. Whatever decision he makes is being filtered through these different voices. Well, all of us have that in there. And neuroscience has come to show that, that every decision you make is not made because you're clear-headed or you're, you're, you're witty or you're intelligent. It's a part of that, but it's all filtered through all of these counselors. The neural maps are readily available and they're always there. You can download them at any point and you can create new maps based on the old maps you've pulled down, not unlike rearranging the landscape of a city or the borders of a country or a nation. And within those borders of that nation, that country are, are different topographical issues, different demographic maps, and all these things that go on. There are different resources within those maps and within the borders that you may have to change the borders in order to access water rights somewhere and things like that. So if we think about that, we, we make it very personal. Let's look at the times we live in, which are, times that I think in the near history we'll look back and go, wow, what was going on? Kids will ask you when they come of age, what was going on? How did this, hopefully they'll ask, how did things become so polarized? How did we have such a binary view in, in a digital world? How did we come to just seeing the world in ones and zeros, in black and white? What was the council going on? Well, the council works like this. An issue comes up. And you have an opinion based on what? Based on the council of identity, your identity as an individual. Who do you identify with as an individual? Are you a man? Are you a woman? Are you of a certain religion? Do you define yourself based on a certain race? Then that goes to the sub-council. What, 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 what view does my group hold? What, group, what view does my religion hold? No matter what I do that is intelligent, or of an intellectual base, I'm going to first filter that through my religion or non-religion, through my group identity, through my nationalism, through my social identity, then my family identity, and then I'm going to come up with a decision based on that. And that is how we become very polarized. So if you are a white Republican and you see yourself as that, then you're going to make decisions based on that, not what's in front of you. If you're a 
liberal of color, you're going to make decisions based on that. If you're a meat eater, you're going to make decisions based on that. If you're a vegetarian, you're going to make decisions based on that. And it's an interesting thing if you sit there and contemplate how confusing that is and how limiting it can be. So as a Congolese person, I identify myself as Congolese. So with that identity comes the idea that I am the ancestor of everyone on earth. So to me, no one is really not family, but I realize being in the United States, looking the way I look, how people react to that. They don't know the background story of me and they don't need to know it, but they've already maybe have made a decision about who I am and I've made a decision about the decision they've made about me. So that's going to affect the way I interact with those people. It's going to have a deep effect. And it will not be necessarily a clear effect. It won't be an unencumbered effect. So if we think about that, we think about what are neural maps. Neural maps are programs, apps in our brain that tell us everything about how to walk, how to drive a car, um, how to prepare your meals, whatever skill sets in living. And these are sub-maps, and then there are larger maps that show us that this is the culture of our life. This is what we call life, are all these neural maps and these sub-maps, these various minor and major grids within those maps. If we Look at the way the brain works in a very dispassionate, in the opt-out way. Know that your reactions to things are not the thing you're reacting to. It is the way the maps in your brains are exacting upon that information and how it affects your reality. Why do we get so worked up about things we hear in the news? Let's think about it. You say, well, there should be a good reason. Well, Right now on this earth that we share, there's a huge issue with the farmers in India. The destructions of farmlands and the, the, denig the denigration of their labor. It's not in the news here. It's not relevant because it's not in our map. Well, somewhere else, there are huge environmental issues. The Amazon is almost completely gone. I would think that a person living on planet earth that imagines a future for their lineage would be concerned that the Amazon is gone. There was a huge crack in the Arctic ice shelf. I think it was thousands of miles of broken. I think they said it was almost the size of California. Yeah, as long as California. Not bothering us because it's not in our map. It may have not may not have immediate effect on life, but it will have certain effect. Gas prices are going up for unknown reasons. Gas is less now a barrel than it's ever been in history. But the prices are going way up, which affects everyday commerce during a time of economic instability, uh, extreme poverty. Um, wouldn't that be something that people aren't concerned about? They're more concerned with the political ballet, the kabuki theater of politics right now, that have no real direct effect on their life. Because in the neural mapping, we have decided 
as we pull down those maps, that council has decided that these are things we should worry about, be concerned with, even though they have maybe no immediate effect on our daily life. For those of us who are opt-outs, who are in the know, when we understand the way the brain is working, we can then change the recruitment of the maps. We can go to the council of the self and change the roles the different counselors play, what role the ego may play, what role does group identity play, what role does my religion play, what role um, does my social standing or status play in decisions I make and in terms of what's important to me. And you can find your way back to a more sensible and grounded place to be in simply by manipulating the counselors, the priorities of the counselors, the authority of those counselors. And as you pick up these different maps, you can make adjustments according that benefit your life and your well-being. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, Z, what you're saying, I get, I'm just going to put it in my own words. We've got these different programs that are running, and some of them might benefit us in certain situations. Some might spin out of control for whatever reason. Some, maybe they're outdated, so maybe at a time they served us, but we're at a different point in our life, or reality has changed, and we need to update the program. So if we're aware of all of these programs we can fine-tune them and create a harmonious system that gives us a more objective view of reality. So I, I want to emphasize that the programs themselves aren't bad. This process has some underlying value because we're bombarded with so much information. If you think about how people make decisions, you need shortcuts. So you need certain rules, certain ways to react in different situations. And that's where these different programs or different templates come into play. So I've got one for how I deal with my family, one for how I deal with my strangers, another one for how I deal with political issues, whatever the case may be. So just the fact that we have these isn't a bad thing. I, I kind of think about stereotypes. Stereotypes, yeah, they can be bad, but they can also be a shortcut to understanding the world that we live in and a lot of times there is at least some truth behind the stereotype, so it can help us make decisions faster, more effectively. So if we think about that construct, then a couple of questions for you, Z. One is, how do we go about this fine-tuning? I mean, what are we really trying to do? We've got all these different programs that are running some are speaking louder, some might be misdirecting us, some as we've talked about might be outdated. What are we doing to identify, number one, what these programs are? So first question is, how do we even figure out what these programs are that are running in the background? And number two, if we're aware of these programs, what do we do with them? How do we start to reprogram ourselves tone down certain voices that maybe aren't serving us well, create new programs in response to new information. How does that process work? Well, Vin, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful place to be, to be on the path of self-realization. To answer your question, it, it'll be layered. 
because for one, we want to always appreciate, we can always appreciate that this life is short. And I want to have more joy than sorrow. I want to have more healthy days than sick days. I want to have more smiles than tears. And as the Buddha said, most human suffering is self-inflicted. So I would like to be mindful enough to inflict less suffering upon myself and in turn inflict less suffering upon the world and others in my world. So let's look at the Council of the Self and some of the maps that the Council looks at. If you ever look at love maps in your life, then women you've loved. And I think about when I have these mo moments sometimes where random people will pop up in my head that I had loving relationships, love affairs, um, tryst, whatever you want to call it at different points in my life. And how those maps got me to where I'm at now in my life, not only with my uh, wife, but with friends, with interactions with other people. So that's the love map. And then I'm going to talk about the Council of Self, looking at the love map. I think back about um, a, a girlfriends that I've had. And I always wanted to stay friends with people that I had love affairs with because the map of me and the Council of Self, the way that works is to value a friend is part of your worth as a human being. The Vedas even say, you know you've lived a good life when you've died with many friends. The whole idea of a memorial service is a place where friends and people who value that person gather to reminisce and to battery the fondness, the memories, and the offerings of that person. So in an ideal world, you have many friends, but you can't have friends unless you have a healthy love map that deals first <clears throat> with intimate relationships, some sexual, some non-sexual. So when you think about the girlfriends you had and how they, you learned to love, you learned to love from the broken heart, you learned to love from the joys of that experience and the sorrow. I think about an old friend that I was very much in love with. But because of my counsel of the self, I was never really able to deal with mood swings from people. I've always had difficulty dealing with the moon cycle of people, the moods, the shifting moods. In the counsel of the self, that meant distrust because I trust consistency. I trust the flatness of events. And so that counselor was a very, has always been a very dominant counselor in my life, in the counsel of the self. Most people know me, I'm extremely consistent. I'm pretty flat. I'm very, <clears throat> I've made myself pretty easy to read with the people that I'm close to. How I feel that day, no, no one's shocked. Okay, they can tell within a few minutes of what mood. I purposely do that because it's something that in the counsel of myself, I find valuable. I find it useful. I find it comforting to know how you feel today. 
What's going on with C today? What's going on with so-and-so today? So you always know. And I learned that because of how uncomfortable it was growing up in my household where minute to minute, hour to hour, I never knew what mood my mom would be in. Or, or you know, when the family was together, we had a bunch of people who were wore their emotions on their sleeves, as they say. And they would just, whatever was going on in that moment, they would chase it. The cheat of Rita was in full effect, the mind jump. And as a young person, it caused me ulcers and things like that because of however my temperament was, it's very difficult to deal with. So in part of the love map for me was oftentimes the flatness of behavior. Women who were very straightforward, almost tomboy sometimes in behavior or very comfortable with whoever they were, whatever that was. And whenever that shifted, it would pull me away from them. But I would separate that and always value the friendship that got me to that point with them. And oftentimes I would make the mistake of after the relationship in one way was gone, the intimacy was gone, the sexual part was gone, I wanted to be buddies. But I didn't consider, you know, they were girls with egos. But you don't like me anymore and you just want to hang out with me like I'm just one of the fellas? And I would say, yeah, that, that would be great because we're cool friends, but it didn't work out. And now you're like, let's be boys. Let's just be, uh, hang out. You know, you can introduce me to your girlfriends and I'll introduce some dudes I know that you guys might work it out. So Caitlin's shaking her head. That just sounds crazy. For me, that made sense. In my map, in the council itself, that made sense. But because it failed so many times, it's like my counselors were losing this battle in the love map. I had to pull power away from them and not, not deny that we were losing this battle. So if I want to win this battle, I'm going to have to not rely upon that one counselor that was dealing with flat emotions, practical emotions. And so fast forward, my wife and I can interact and I know that, okay, it's going to get rough. The moods are going to swing. I also have friends in my life that are moody. It helped me know that that mood shift wasn't an abandonment of the relationship. It was simply a mood shift. It was just a fluid cycle of the human condition that was influenced by many things that I may not be privy to. So there may be exhaustion of the emotion. There may be a memory that comes up. There may be some toxin awash in the being that needs to be processed through so their moods would change. So once I learned that, I was able to deal with moodiness in a different way. I was also able to observe minds, but I also was able to then accept the loss of the friendships that I wanted with these past love interests that I wanted to become buddies with. And I would always tell people, and I've told you the thing that hurt me the most was never losing the sexual part of the relationship with these women. It was losing their friendship. And it took me many years to understand that, that women have a different liability to sex than men have. I never appreciated that because remember, the counselor myself 
was a, a, a more of a, an extreme soldier, feminist type, devoid of emotion. Because I've always seen emotions as being a liability, but emotions are part of being human. So in that love map, I've had to make changes over the years that allowed me to be stable and steady in the storms, the inevitable storms of life on earth and the inevitable storms in relationships with people, not just with your intimate partner, but with friends in general, the ups and downs. I spoke to a friend a few weeks ago. He called me out of the clear blue and he was emotionally distraught because another one of our friends had passed away. And Anton called me and he says, man, you know, Cliff died. My good friend, my mentor Cliff died. And he called me and says, I, I, I need to call you because I want to be emotional and I don't feel comfortable being emotional with anybody else. So I want to cry over Cliff, but can I cry over Cliff? I said, yeah, you can, man. And I actually, it was weird because I felt so small, yet so honored that that's how he sees me. It's somebody he can be completely open with. So the weeks and months went by. It's been a few months. And then I hadn't heard from him in a while. And the words he said resonated with me. That map resonated with me. <clears throat> that, you know, we're all, we've all been around the sun more than 60 times. And so our number of re revolutions around the sun are getting less and less just based on the law of averages. So we checking in is a good thing. To refresh the map of that relationship is a good thing. To water that garden that isn't often watered is, is important now. So I called him up and he didn't answer. And I called him again, he usually answers. Oh my God, I hope he isn't dead. So I left him an insulting email and an insulting phone call and just said, asshole, call me. And he called back and said, hey man, I was going to get back to you in a few days. And he said, I, I just, I see it, but after you told me about Cliff, now I'm, I'm worried about you. And he just said a beautiful thing. He said, Z, I'm going to come and see you and I want to let you know that I speak of you with honor to anybody I meet, anybody I know. Because you, as crazy as you are, as wild as you are, you've always been open-hearted. I've known you for 40 years. You're one of the toughest guys I know, but you have the biggest heart of anybody. And I want to be like you as I move through this part of my life. I was never this open-hearted as you. And I realize that. And you've bounced back from many things as I have tried to bounce back. And so that map in me and the counsel of the self was immediately refreshed to hear that from him and to share that with him. And I say that because our discussion today is about the counsel of the self. Who sits at that table and deciphers these maps? Who does your topography? Who arranges it? Which one of those parts of you is dominant? Which one of those pieces should that seat be traded with? Who is dominating your identity? And as we move through life, those seats should not be etched in stone. They should be portable. Sometimes you listen to one voice over another. It is appropriate. And when it comes to love maps, 
That's one of the biggest things in our lives. To have healthy relationships with people is one of the important things that we have that identify us as a whole being. Your best friend, your buddies, your general acquaintances. It requires a constant renewal of maps because they're always teaching you about who you are. You follow me, Vin? When I'm listening to you, Z, it reminds me of a quote that I saw. I was walking by a church one day. They've got this little bulletin board outside, and they put quotes out there. And this one I thought was particularly interesting. It said, do more of the things that bring you joy or move more towards the things that bring you joy, move away from the things that cause you pain, but never stop moving. And when I think about our discussion, a lot of what you're saying has that sort of feel, which is as we go through life, these programs that we have, the counsel of the self, different voices at different times are going to serve us. Sometimes we have to silence some voices. Sometimes we have to add new people to the table. But we've always got to be pruning. We've always got to be active. We've always got to be moving more towards the things that create good outcomes from us or for us and move away from the voices that are causing us pain. So if we use that as a principle, that to me is a good starting point. Because uh, on the one hand, when you read some of the neuroscience around this, it sounds kind of scary. It's like, oh my God, I've got these voices inside or these programs that are running and I have no idea what they are. They don't even manifest in my conscious awareness. I don't know what's going on. I just know that I feel anxious or stressed or I'm turning off the women around me uh, and I'm getting death threats uh, like you did or whatever the case may be. So how do you really get down to the root of these programs and start to choose that counsel more intelligently? I think it's as simple as paying attention, paying attention to the extremes in your life. The things that are working really well, you do more of that, you cultivate that. The things that aren't going well, it requires some reflection. So you have to step back, do some analysis, understand why you're making the decisions that you're making, ask whether the assumptions that you have that are governing, governing your behavior are the right ones or are those things that you need to update. And by consciously going through this process, it's like continuously pruning a tree you end up with a dynamic council, but you end up with one that matches your personal evolution in life and that serves you, can help you make better decisions, contribute to your wellness, all of the things that we talk about as opt-outs. Uh, so having that awareness is critical. Doing that self-analysis and that reflection is also critical. I'm curious, see, when you think about this topic, and this topic came up because of some of the recent conversations that you've had uh, with people around you. Where do we go wrong? So let's say that we don't do that. And you take a person who just has these programs running, it has this council in place, but has never thought that hard about what the council looks like. So some of the council might come from religion. Some of it might come from your parents. Some of it might be a reaction to your parents. Some of it might be all the crap that you read on Facebook or the videos you see on Z uh, YouTube and you're going down this rabbit hole and you're just being bombarded with messages and that shapes your reactions, your consciousness. Maybe some of it is really traumatic events that you've gone through and even though 
these don't happen frequently. They've got such a powerful effect on you that they change the composition of that council. So let's say that you're not actively looking at the council or how you're making decisions. What ends up happening? Walk us through some of the challenges that people face when they're not paying attention to who's sitting at the table. Well, Vin, what we can see in, in the health thing is how we end up in such bad physical health. We see that every day. How did we? How did it get this bad? How did you get to the point where you're highly medicated or you're on all sorts of psychotropic drugs just to get through the day? How is it that you're isolated, alienated, and have no real friends that are available to you in your time of need or your need or joy? So when we think of neural maps, let's neural maps is your reality of the world. The counsel of the self is how you navigate your idea of reality. You have a neural map for love. You have a neural map for work. You have all of these sub maps for things that you call your life. And then you have the counsel of the self that is helping you navigate and maintain what you call reality. When you find that your reality is horrible, it's working against you, things are not working out. Remember, none of it is is real in the sense of it doesn't extend beyond you. So when you're not aware of it, you just find yourself living in a hellscape. Things are going wrong all the time. Uh, You're lonely or you can't maintain a, a good career path or your health is betraying you for no obvious reasons and you seem to be the most unlucky person in the world. Um, You think about what we hear every day in the common media, the political circumstance and condition of the United States. It's literally vulnerable to enemies from outside because the U.S. has fell apart. That's what happens when you don't check your own neural maps. You see that there's, I guess, the mayor or the governor of New York or something is embroiled in a, a sexual issue. Again, not checking your neural maps. You know, when you look at these cases, and I, whenever I look at something, I just kind of stand back and observe. Every powerful man, based on the way our society is structured globally, has available to him many young women. Power is an aphrodisiac. Power is enticing. Authority is attractive. Being in charge on a very base level, makes a person uh, desired by many people, envied by even more. So you have desire and envy on either side of you. If you don't know that, you will fall into the pit. So if you're some old guy who's in charge of a lot of stuff, you're going to be surrounded by young women who find you uh, attractive and filled with authority and wise and all, even if you're not. And if you don't check your neural maps, you're going to find yourself in a Como situation where somebody's uh, suing you and you're trying to make apologies and uh, you hear this bizarre stuff. Well, I'm sorry that I said something I didn't mean to offend. And if I did, I'm really sorry. Let's get off of all this. These people, people aren't checking their maps. And there's no victim and there's no horrible person on this side. People hate to hear that. If you're 
a young person that is considered attractive, you know that's a form of power. You know you can get things. If you're not so attractive, you know that if you're wealthy and powerful, it can get you things. This is the way our world works. If you don't check your neural maps, you will the ego will dominate you and you'll say, because I'm so wonderful is why I'm in this position. Because I'm so wonderful is why I'm desired. No, you're desired because you wield a lot of power. If you were the local janitor at the third library in Harlem, you probably wouldn't be in this situation having to apologize on national media for saying the wrong thing to a young woman. If you were a young woman who was really fixated and career-minded and you didn't make it to the mani-pedi on time and you were too busy and engaged in your personal development, you probably wouldn't draw the attention of powerful men who wanted to be in the company of a beautiful young lady because you'd be too immersed in the things you're working on to really care about that. This is harsh, isn't it? This is neural maps. This is the counsel of the self. We all know. Why do people dread aging? A neural map, because we value, overvalue youthfulness. And, and we find that as a single metric of attractiveness because one of the counselors that the counselor self have told you, young is attractive, old is not. And that's all they're repeating. So you're misled by that. And it takes you down that path. So when you understand how your neural maps are being drawn down and how the counsel itself are unraveling these maps and deciphering them as if they were pundits arguing over the Vedas, you'd understand how you find yourself in situations. We improve when we understand this. We improve our interaction with others. We improve in our relationship to others. We learn how to create the healthy borders in those maps. See, boundaries are very important With, within intimate relationships and within casual relationships of all kinds. Healthy boundaries. What does it mean? Healthy boundaries is knowing where you're at. A border is something that is man-made. It's a man-made artifice that lets you know where you're at. Like a mile marker on a highway or the, the you're, in, you're now entering Dallas, Texas sign on the freeway. It gives you a sense of where you're at and a sense of where you've been. It's not a real thing. It's a reference. It's a notion that helps you understand where you're at. So when you're looking at neural maps and you're plotting the landscape and the borders and boundaries, you know where you're at. So we talked about love maps. You know the different types of love in those maps, the borders, the restrictions, the customs and courtesies. There's a way you love your parent. There's a way you love your best friend. There's a way you love siblings. And if those maps are healthy maps, the relationships are healthy. If the map boundaries are not clear, you find yourself like a Kentucky hillbilly being your own grandparent because you don't have a healthy love map. So you have a different geographic map, different love map, different work map. How about at work? If your work map is healthy. When you're off work, you're off work. You don't bring your work home. When your neural map for work is healthy, you don't do weird stuff with your co-workers at work. You don't, you don't have a, a, a Governor Como problem because you understand I'm at work now and 
There's a certain way that customs and courtesies when I'm in the country of work, right? When I'm in England, I drive on the other side of the street than I drive in America. So as long as I understand that, my path in life is less encumbered. So when you don't do that, you find yourself in a hapless state. You're just a feckless, feral person uh, bumping through life. You're in the economic field and you understand uh, the, the contemporary economy. When people have good neural maps on the economy, they know where they're at financially. They know where, they know where they're desperate. They know how to seek remedy. They know how to come up with a long-term plan. And that's what you help people with. In my field of health and wellness, I have I create really healthy maps, clear maps of health trajectories for people. And if you follow the mile, mark, the mile markers and the waypoints on that, that map, you'll be healthy. So people think it's a miracle. Oh my God, Z, you're a miracle worker. I'm cured. I'm healed. No, you're not. You just follow the map. And we see that every day, right, Caitlin? We see it every day when people follow the map, the benefit. When you don't follow the map, you don't benefit. It's a real, it's, it's like, hey, how do I get to uh, the, the Colosseum? Follow the map. Well, let me just figure it out on my own. Well, you'll end up somewhere else. You'll end up far from your destination, exhausted, tired, and out of gas. If you follow the map, you'll get there refreshed, on time, with plenty left in your tank. So you want to decide, we can decide, especially for opt-outs, to understand the neural maps you're always downloading and the counsel of the self. And what you can do most immediately is rearrange the chairs on the counsel of self if things aren't working out. My wife did something really cool the other day, is that she's a kind of a multitasker. What would you say? She's always going, always going. And, and like I said, when all my my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my wife in the house, I just have to leave the house. It's like it become in Grand Central Station on rush hour Tuesday or whatever. It's, it's insane because they're doing stuff. They're just moving about. Uh, everything's going on. So I just leave because that's my temperament. And I let them enjoy the beehive. I always said the theme in my house when, when all my wife's family is here is uh, the flight of the butterfly, the flight of the bumblebee. That song, right? That's what it feels like. So the other night, my wife was exhausted. She's running around. She says, can you cook the kids some food? I said, sure. So I start to cook the food. She comes in the kitchen, starts elbowing me and grabbing stuff. At this, I said, okay, I'll step out of the kitchen. And she caught herself. She said, oh, what did I just do? I said, you said you were overwhelmed. You wanted me to cook for the kids. I began to cook for the kids. You got involved with that. You started controlling what I was doing. And I just backed away to let you handle it. And historically, what she would do is complain that, oh, I'm so exhausted. You didn't even help me in the kitchen. I wish I could, you could help me more. Well, I was doing it and you took over. And she said, she caught herself. That's a neural map in the council of the self. She had the map of time, the map of task, and the council of the self. And there's the one council, this con the council of controlling. Control all things at all times in life is usually the most dominant. But the Council of Rest showed up and had a more dominant voice. And the Counselor of Practical Interaction showed up and it caught her. And it says, get out of the way. 
go do something else. And she did. Everything went fine. But it took her some time to work on that. So all of us have stories like that, right? We all have stories of things we can change. I talk to people all the time about in the Council of Self when they talk about uh, aging in a miserable way. Oh, you know I'm old. Oh, you know I'm old. That, that voice is so powerful. Any map you get, they're going to influence the boundaries and the, the range of that map. So you don't want that person dominating your life because everything that you have will be altered by the Grinch that stole Christmas. And you won't be able to do anything. So when people don't explore those maps, they end up in a very hapless state. It's, it, it, it's not necessarily beneficial. For those who are opt-outs, who think about those maps, you catch yourself and say, I, like the Buddha said, understand that I must be a master of my own mind. I can download these maps, present them to the council of the self, and allow that council to have harmonious interaction, equanimity of decisions that lead to me having a healthier life. There are people that are lonely. A kid I was talking to, I said that I want you to meet. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to meet a woman of my dreams. I, I'm ready to settle down. He says, can you, can you introduce me to somebody? And um, I said, yeah, but you, you would benefit first by having a picture of who you are. So whoever you want would want you. Do you want yourself? First thing is, do you want yourself? before you can find the right person that wants yourself. He says, oh, wow. Okay, I get it. I say, yeah, so be clear. Don't have a fixed picture of a type of person, a look, a height, a career. Just turn inward on yourself and see if you were somebody else, would you like being with you? And when you like being with you, you work on that and open yourself up and that person will present themselves to you. They will become available either through your actions, your efforts, or your moving about this universe. But that's, again, you have to be able to pull these maps down. Look at the Council of Self. Keep them in a fluid and portable uh, arrangement at that table of the self so that whatever decision comes to benefits you in the most positive way. There's one thing you said, Z, which I thought was really insightful. Uh, you were talking about how people at times, if you're not paying attention to the counsel of the self and how you're making decisions, you just feel like the unluckiest motherfucker <laughs> who ever walked the face of the planet. It's like, why does this stuff happen, happen to me over and over? I'm doing all the right things. I can't believe my bad luck. And it's because you're not doing the right things, because you've got the wrong map, you're listening to the wrong voices. I think about some of the programs that people have. You've got a lot of people that I've run into who've got a victim complex. They feel like the world is out to get them, that they never get what they deserve, that they're always second in line, they're always a runner-up. And it's not even true. If you look at the evidence, a lot of times, that's not the case. It's cherry-picked. Uh, sometimes you come out ahead. Sometimes you come out behind. But you've got this idea that you're just a victim, and then you find 
ways and evidence to support that. And that keeps you in this rut, prevents you from moving forward, taking charge of your life. So that's one example. Entitlement is another. Maybe your parents told you how great you are and how you're the most special person in the world, and that informed one of the council members, and you get (laughs) into adulthood, and guess what? No one gives a shit about you. But you never listen to tune down that voice and replace that with someone who can give you a more realistic assessment. And maybe that council member was fine back in the day because you lived at home and you were the most important person, but now you're not. Times have changed. So it's easy for me to see when I start thinking about the hapless people who are always down on their luck and things are never working out the way that they want. Or you think about people in relationships and they just can't find the right person. Why do I keep on attracting these people? Well, look at who you're going after, what you're attracted to, what image you're projecting and so forth. So you got to dig a little bit deeper. Now, when I think about all this, I would say you've got some people who are totally unaware of what's going on inside. And maybe for them, it just takes a sufficient amount of pain to get to the point where they say, okay, I'm going to look at myself a little more closely. I'm going to start to program myself and create a reality that suits me better. Uh, But they're just not at that point. So I'll put that category aside. There's another category which I find more interesting, which is people who are reasonably self-aware. And I've got friends like this. They understand their own programming. They understand that they beat themselves up, that they're sacrificing their health, they're working too hard, they're seeking validation from whatever their title is, whatever their job is. As a result, they're stressed out all the time. So they can see this happening, and it's almost like watching a train wreck in slow motion. They know their tendencies. They know their biases. They know that it leads to bad outcomes, that it leads to a lot of stress, that health is going to decline, that when you get to a certain age, it puts you at risk for heart attacks, hospitalization, whatever the case may be. But they're just unwilling to change. And the response I get sometimes is, well, that's just how I am. That's just how I'm wired. And I find that so weird. It's kind of like, if you don't know anything about yourself, I'll give you a pass. You're not even aware of what's happening. But if you're aware enough to know that you're doing things that are destructive, why do you keep on doing them? Why do people find it so hard to start changing the way that they make decisions and the way that they see reality? Well, Vin, one of the reasons that is, is when you deal with the Council of Self, imagine the Council of Self is a parliamentary government. And you have these different uh, PMs, these different parliament members, and each one of them has their own type of temperament. Uh, it reminds me of cartoon characters. There was an old cartoon from the 60s called Lippy the Lion and Hardy Har Har. And they were both these two homeless characters. And Lippy the Lion was the optimist. He always figured there was a way to get through the day and things work out. He always had a plan to things that would just really work out. It might be risky, might be dangerous. He was always for it. Big or small, he would make sure they had a great day, right? They'd get a great meal. They'd have a great place to sleep that night. And he had a buddy who was hyena named Hardy Har Har. And no matter what Lippy came up with, Hardy Har Har would constantly say, oh, oh, 
Lippy, it's just not going to work out. It's just, oh, it's so dangerous. Let's just not even try. And that's what he does through the whole thing. So you had Lippy the lion and hearty har har. So in our council of self, do you have a hearty har har? They're just, oh, no, dread, oh, victim, oh, it's not my day. Or do you have a Lippy the Lion say, yeah, let me figure out what's the workaround. I can do this. I can get this done. Then you have other council members with different temperaments. You have the, the and, and a lot of it, like politicians, is just paper tigers. It's just based on infinite falsehood and lie over lie. The, the counselor of, you know, racial identity. Uh, science is told there's no race of people. Why do you keep running with that? Well, I'm a white Christian and uh, I'm a uh, I'm a black Muslim or, or whatever it is. No, your superstition is something you chose or you inherited from your parents and you chose to maintain. That's your religion. So if that's on your counselor, it's just like having a politician that says he's a war hero, but he never went to battle. His feet hurt when it was time for him to go to war. And then all of a sudden... He's being praised as a great hero of the people, right? They just busted some politician, claims that he was in this horrific military battle and lost his legs, come to find out he never went there. He was drunk driving and got run over or something. So, but he's, he makes it to the council and he's making decisions for the country. So this counselor of the self is making decisions about what you call your life and your reality. Kick those people out. Employ somebody else. Because when you keep seeing the stuff happening, you also can face practical reality. There are things that go on in life that are challenging and devastating. So have a strategist that can say, okay, if you can't do this, your friends can. If you don't know this skill set or if you don't have this ability, use your savvy, your wit, your ability to exchange, your ability to barter, your ability to do service to to get allies to help you. Like this young man said, hey, can you introduce me to a, uh, a, a potential good match for me? Right? So that's actually very smart of him to do that. But then, of course, I made it harder for him because I want him to work on himself. And then, you know, I'll introduce him to somebody. But when we think about the council of self, I want everyone to think about different characters that are really you, what we call the subconscious. They make up who you are. And they're downloading infinite maps of from the library of life and deciphering those maps, tweaking them, and interpreting them for their best interest. So if it's hardy har har, nothing will work out for you. If it's the if it's the old codger that's waiting for death being the primary decision maker of your life, you won't even feel like getting out of bed. If it's the entitled depressive, what does that look like? Let's say one of your parliament members is the entitled depressive. What would that look like, Caitlin? What, what's the entitled depressive? Good God, that just sounds horrible. I don't know how you get anything done. Right. What about the, uh, the, the manic megalomaniac? What if they're on the board? And you're letting them hold sway. You're giving them, giving them way more votes than everybody else. And you're constantly looking for validation. It's never enough. Right? It's never enough. What about the, uh, the wayward adolescent? 
You see, you have all of these people on the Council of the Self. But you know what? You can vote them in or vote them out. You can vote them in or vote them out. You see? And they all have a publicity machine behind them. They'll all find other other folks like them that support their position. You ever notice a bunch of depressed people hanging out with each other? Or do you go to some club and they're, just, they're all swapping medication stories? Or the victim mentality, or the entitlement thing. They all sit around talking about what people are taking. There's all these people mad because they think other people will get rights that they have. So they think that they're, that will take away from the excess they already have. You see, see how crazy that is? How is it if another person's life is going well, why will that bother me? If you're rowing your boat and I'm rowing mine, how does you, just because you're rowing your boat doesn't take, make me row less. It doesn't make my boat less waterworthy. You see the mentality? But you will have these wayward parliamentarians on the, on the, on the uh, council of the self They'll say, you see that person, that boat over there sailing? That's taking wind from you. Vent on them. Be angry at them. Hate them. Go after them because all your problems because because that other person's sail is using wind that you could be using. Even though you're going at a good clip, even though you have the right of way and everything's going fine in your life, you're mad because you think some, it's, it's, it's like this whole what is it? This whole stimulus thing. You're supposed to get a check or something. Yeah. $400. Whatever the check is they're getting. People are mad about it. People are mad about it mad. because we haven't gotten it yet. And some people are mad that they're getting a check. The check is coming. Some people, why are they getting a check for sitting around? And some people are mad. You know, it's like, you know what? They give me, if I, get, if I find the money, it's great. If I don't, I got to row my boat anyway, right? But I have a different I have a different council of the self. My council of the self isn't looking for the allegiance of an outside governmental body to define my life. So that isn't a worry. That's not something I'm worried about. It's not something I'm obsessing on. So if you find yourself worried and obsessing on things, really check that parliament, that council of self. Who's sitting at those chairs? I just talked to someone the other day. They were very upset. A uh, guy was walking down the street. And he ran into me and said, man, you, you look like shit. What's wrong? You see, I don't know how I'm going to get through the day. I said, well, he said, I don't want to be alive anymore. I said, man, what's wrong? He said, my dad passed. My dad passed away. I said, well, I hate to hear that. You know, I, I, I feel your pain, man. My dad was murdered when I was 13. He was 36 years old. Heard me. Yeah, I feel just like you. I said, what happened? I know he just died in his sleep. I said, "What happened?" I don't know. I said, "Well, you see, I'm just, I just can't cope." I said, oh "My God, how old was your dad?" He was ninety-eight. He was ninety-eight. I'd be partying down the street, but he has a different parliament than I do. He has a different council of the self than I do. Someone, one of those counselors told him that this is shit is forever, baby. If my dad was Methuselah and he dropped dead, I'd be like, I'm glad I was, a, you know, related to Methuselah. I mean, I'd be 900 years old. Good chance for me. 
How do you think I feel? My dad was killed at 36. I outlived him. I'm damn near twice as old as he ever was. That's scary. Different, different counsel of the self. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I got you, Z. I'm thinking of Ice Cube. You got to check yourself. Just check in, figure out who's sitting at that table, figure out whether it's the right people and they're giving you good advice or they're telling you some nonsense that's screwing up your life. And you can react accordingly. And you can always change. You can experiment. I recently introduced this crazy Congolese guy to my council. He's a little bit scary. He's frightened away some of the other council members. But I'm trying him out. <laughs> I'm going to see how he works out. Maybe he'll get a permanent seat at the table. Hey, they have elections every four years, right? Yeah, I don't know what it's like in the Congo. No, we, we have election, elections for life until somebody shoots you out of your seat. That's the way it works. But yeah, you're right, Vin. We can put anybody there. We can, and we should. We should be very fluid. Look at, does it make your life better? Ask yourself, in the quiet of yourself, are you content? Have you found peace? That doesn't mean everything is going exactly the way you want it. Right, Caitlin? You know, we got Caitlin here. She went through a bunch of stuff, but she's dynamic. Caitlin is open-hearted. She's got a, a, a crew of people that adore her, love her, look up to her. She's a meaningful part of a community. And, and through difficult times, because of her temperament, her personality in the council itself, she was able to shuffle the deck, move people around, put the, uh, put the Secretary of War in his place while the environmental secretary was in his place and the uh, secretary of love was in his place and she made it work out. She made it work out. We can all make it work out. We will have challenges in our life. That's the nature of living. The only thing in this human experience that isn't challenging is death. Death is the only thing that it has no challenge. So one of our biggest challenges is the internal challenge, the counsel of the self. So as we um, extract these different maps. If we pull them down and take a look at it, what is the reality we want? I would say get rid of false narratives about the self. Throw them all out. Avoid being um, rigidly partisan about anything. That doesn't mean you don't have positions, that you don't have ideas that you hold, you don't have underlying values, you don't have ethics that you live by. On the On the contrary, what I'm saying is Check yourself first. Check yourself first. I had a discussion with someone who was upset about the political circumstances and conditions of the, uh, that we're living in the moment. And I said, I, 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 I feel like if every side would clean their own house, then we could move forward with the common cause of, of the land that we share together to make it better. But until people reject this kind of binary partisanship and these various uh, loyalty tests, then there's no future. There is no future. And we witness it in a country and you can witness it in an individual. It's just what the Tao said. If you want to know the condition of a country, observe the condition of the women, the children, and the elderly, and you will know everything about a country. Are they safe? Are they fed? Are they comforted? Are they cared for? That will tell you everything about a country. If those things are, are, are not right, then something is wrong. 
And so we can look at a country as we look at our own selves. And police yourself. Check yourself. Maintain yourself. Clean your own house. Do your inner spiritual hygiene first. One of the things that I've learned from this work is when I work on my inner hygiene, I tend to get along with all manners of people because the level of empathy increases. The ability to listen increases. The ability to understand how a person came about their view. And people come about their view not because of logic and reason and science. You have to look at their background. Why did they find this data and not other data? Why does this alarm them and something else doesn't? Why are they hurt, shocked, and appalled by one thing but not another? You know, the other day, you know, we, if we look at issues, they, they, they had some military activity in, the, in another country, and they were saying, well, they, the U.S., you know, moved forward to bomb this country to teach them a lesson. And it was under a democratic administration that's supposed to be about peace, love, and morality. But the people who were partisan that way couldn't say that these wars are foolish. There's no benefit to the nation going to war. The nation is falling apart because of the internal, the internal divisions of this nation. The hatred for one citizen to another. There is no foreign enemy that is more powerful than the hatred that the people in this nation have towards one another. So why bomb those people? Why don't you bomb the people here that are causing divisiveness in the nation if you, if you were fighting a war for the sake of peace and army? But if it's your side doing it, you say nothing. If it's your Nazis, they're good Nazis. So this is what people who work on their own personal self-counsel know, and we reject these types of behaviors. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I got you, Z. I think we've said it all. Uh, to me, it starts with paying attention to yourself, uh, making sure you take whatever is causing you pain, whatever is working well in your life, pay attention to that. Use that to figure out who you want on the council. Another thing we talked about, don't be too attached. It's okay to be fluid. Don't take yourself so seriously. Just because you've been one way your whole life, so what? You can change. You can be someone else. You can adapt to different situations. Everything around you is constantly changing, so why do you want to be so rigid? There's no reason. We can let go of all of that. And I think if we do that and we choose intelligent people for the council, that's the final thing. Just step back and take a look and say, are these people who are wise, who are giving me good advice, who have my interests at heart? Or is it people who've got their own agenda sitting at the table who are raving lunatics who are setting me off in the wrong direction? So if we can learn to step back, take that dispassionate view, and come up with a council that serves us, that's where we can really start to get better outcomes in life, get away from the entitlement, the victim mentality, and go out there and do whatever we need to do to, to survive and thrive. That's right, Vin. As this says in the Tao, find the middle path. Do not declare yourself rigidly on one side or another, and don't strive to make the inevitable changing changing things unchangeable. Don't don't think that things won't change. Change is good, as you said. Rigidity is death, and fluidity is life. As we mature in this life, be open to flow 
to change, to ex do self-examination, to go to places that are sometimes uncomfortable, to read things that you normally would not read, to listen to things you normally would not listen to. This isn't for the sake of the information. It's an exercise in fluidity. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.